Welcome to the Top Order Podcast, 11th of April here in Auckland. We've got a recap of the New Zealand home summer, including the domestic scene. Tom Bruce scoring back-to-back hundreds. Do the Black Caps need to take notice? A tour of the UK coming up. Auckland confirmed his chance. And of course, we've got the Indian Premier League. Rajasthan Royals sitting pretty at the top of the table. All coming up on the Top Order Podcast. Stay tuned. So guys, I think we're going to start with the IPL. So uh, my picks, the Rajasthan Royals and Kolkata Knight Riders riding high at the top of the table. Um, I'm going to be right once a year on this podcast and I'm going to say that it's going to be this week. Um, um, let's see how that how long that lasts. But plenty of talking points from the IPL. We'll of course get on to that man Ravi Ashwin at some point. But yeah, what are our sort of thoughts as we're, what, five five games into the campaign for some of the sides? Although I think Gujarat Titans and, and Hyderabad Sunrise has only played three games so far. But what are our initial thoughts of the tournament? Uh, yeah, well, I, I guess I'll just jump in to say last week I told everyone not to panic about CSK and Mumbai. and uh, Panic time now, right? Yeah, I think it's panic time. Yeah, it's absolutely panic time now. They're, what, 0 and 8 between them to start the tournament? They're done now, I think, Mumbai and Chennai, I think. They can play spoiler to a bunch of teams that are looking to get to the top, but I can't see either of those sides rolling off 10-0 and 0 and getting close to the title, which is a real shame because they've got a lot of talent, but they haven't been able to put the performances on the board and for Mumbai it's been problems with their batting that's been the biggest concern from them traditionally have been a really dominant batting unit and this year just haven't been able to pull that together a couple of guys missing from last year's team has really affected their ability to put up big scores Tim David hasn't really fired a shot so far and I think was dropped for their last game till like Verma slid, de- slid down the order uh Binksy does that mean that you can get all your being right all in a row and, and be right all in the one week well, I think I did say it was the biggest waste of craw, didn't I? So, um, yeah, look, go back and listen to the tape. But, um, yeah, I, I, I think I said he was going to get dropped and he, he has been dropped. Um, look, I, you know, it's not nice being right on those kind of things, but you've you got to take it when you can. It's Ooh. not it's not a competition either, Brinksy. Um, I'm, I'm pretty sure it is. There's a final, isn't there? And an eliminator and a dominator. Someone <laughs> takes some trophy home at, at some point, I think. With, the, with CSK, what do you think has been the turnaround there like i i look at who they've lost and i isolate guys like faf duplessis what what do you think the main reason is for their massive shift i mean they were really 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 strong last year and they've just not come out at all well i think you just said it faf faf was on fire and they had josh hazelwood and the two of them were just you know they were probably if not one of the you know i don't know i don't have the stats in front of me faf was certainly felt like one of the lead bat- batters he scored runs almost every, yeah for fun almost every time i saw him and hazelwood was just dominating with the ball and, and i think the thing is about that tournament that the way that it was structured teams just gone on a roll and we've seen it even at the start of this competition and, and to, uh, you think of someone like gujarat titans who we thought at the start, where are their runs going to come from? Shubman Gill's been scoring all of their runs, just about. And that actually leads you to enough runs to win games. And if you don't have one of those players just getting on those rolls, and it makes it really, really tough. And, I mean, CSK, I think the reason that they're not going well is because they haven't put Devin Conway back in the side, clearly. But, you know, I yeah, they're, they're a side that, yeah, like you say, doesn't look like they're going to win anytime soon or, or certainly not turn it around. It's, you know, any team can kind of win one T20 game. Mm. Without being too flippant, a good time for MS Dhoni to step down from the captaincy. I mean, they've looked like not the same side on the field or in terms of their confidence and leadership without him with the C next to his name, regardless of whether or not 
you know, he's been on the field and, and providing that leadership. There's talk of potentially it shouldn't have been Jadeja been named as captain. It should have been someone else. So, look, Stephen Fleming's talked about that, that team lacking confidence, which is not a real Stephen Fleming thing to say. It's not a real CSK thing to say. So the Super Kings aren't doing all that super at the moment. The thing that's caught my eye so far in the IPL is the success of the two new franchises. I can't remember from our preview of them, but I don't think we picked them to be finals you know, top four sides. But at the moment, Gujarat 3-0 and are playing really, really well. Lucknow Super Giants have pulled off some big wins against some good sides, albeit last start loss against, I can't remember who it was, but I'll find that now. Um, yeah, they've gone down to the Royals, which is no shame in that. The Royals are a really good side as well. But they've beaten the Delhi Capitals, they've beaten the Chennai Super Kings, and they've beaten the Sunrisers. So, you know, no slouches there, some of those sides. But they've been really surprising for me. I, I've been pleasantly surprised being better than advertised so far. With with Gujarat and especially, I think as we just said, we always thought that their bowling was good. They've got Lockie, they've got Rashid Khan, they've got Muhammad Shami. If they can get enough runs, and and they've just been finding a way. Shubman Gill's been getting a stack so far, and I mean, you know, that last game. I don't know if you guys saw the, that finish to Atia winning that game for them, just unreal. Like six six off the last two balls to win um, against Punjab Kings. They actually needed thirteen off three balls. David Miller was on strike, hits the ball back to the bowler. Tuati is, at, you know, charging off, trying to get a single, was miles out of his crease. Odeon Smith threw the ball at the stumps. Simon Dool actually said in the commentary, what are you doing? You've got to keep your composure. You do not need to throw the ball at the stumps. 13 off two, you've won the game. And Tuati gets down the, it goes for an overthrow. Tuati gets down the other end, goes bang, bang, six, and, and they win. So... Yeah, that they've been brilliant to start the to start the tournament. Did you see the reaction as well from Tuatia? Yeah, it, that that's what uh, that's momentum personified there. I think as well, they've got a lot of it going forward. I don't know they did have that last out loss, but they're charging towards the finals. Before we move on to the R Ashwin incident, because I think it's going to get lots and lots of column inches. Can we just um, bask in the glory of Pat Cummins being able to do absolutely no wrong with either bat or ball equals the fastest. 50 in a win for KKR. 14 balls, I think, he took to score his 50 runs. That was kind of Monday night social league stuff. Every ball just (laughs) disappearing out of the ground. I think he faced 15 balls in his innings and hit 11 of them two or over the fence. So, yeah, Pat Cummins at the moment can do absolutely no wrong for KKR, and he's at the moment a big reason why they're at the top of the table or or close to it. Well, he didn't have a great game last night. I'll I'll just throw that in there, recording this on on a Monday night. But, uh, yeah, on that 14-ball 50, it actually could have been 13 balls. He he hit a six down. He was on 44. He hit hit the ball that was going for six, an incredible piece of fielding from uh, Surya Kumar Yadav, Jumped up, you know, one of those ones where you throw it back over the over the rope and uh, saved saved a six, and, and it was only two. But yeah, next ball, Cummins just bang again and uh, and got his fifty, and then another six off the next ball. So just just unreal stuff from uh, from Cummins there, and I think it shows the the importance of all these teams that are at the top. They've all got guys in their side that can just come in and score runs really fast at the, at the end of the innings. You even saw it with Stoyanis last night. Obviously, that led to a, a loss for, for Lucknow, but they st- he still came in, scored 30 off off 15 balls, and they kept him to the end of the game because they wanted to do that. And, yeah, maybe that maybe that takes you into the, the Ravi Ashwin conversation. That's a beautiful segue. I don't know if you've set that up deliberately, but let's, let's recap last night's game then. R. Ashwin was striking at about 120, 130. It was, I think, 28 off 23, something of that nature. That a, a batter to come 
that could hit the ball a long way. He was batting with Shimron Hetmeyer. For the first time in a T20, he has retired himself out, which is within the rules of, of, of the game, the laws of the game. He has effectively just walked off and replacement batters come in, banged eight off four, including hitting a big six, and they win by three runs, which is effectively their eight off, six, or eight off four is the difference. So R. Ashwin, cricketing genius and rules extraordinaire. The funny thing was I read a couple of quotes from Shimron Hetmeyer, who was at the strikers' end. Ashwin was at the non-strikers' end. And, uh, yeah, Hitmeyer was kind of like, oh, yeah, I turned around and, and he was walking off. <laughs> you know, so it's obviously not something that they talked about or Ashwin just went, yeah, I'm off. It was, it was, yeah, I, I, well, I think it's brilliant, but you guys should all just jump in and, uh, and change my opinion if you think so. Can, can I ask a quick question? The report I read afterwards didn't really clear up where the tactic had come from. What Was it Ashwin making the call on the field or, or do we think this was a... Uh, a very, very long hook from the dugout. There was some discussion that it was both on and off the field. I, I don't think we're ever going to find out whose who's, um, role it was in, in making that decision. But, yeah, I, I think Ashwin probably had some say in it, I would I would say. But my, my opinion on it is, is very similar to how it was with the, the Jordan Silk one we talked about earlier mm. in the BBL in the final where he um, voluntary... Um, voluntarily retired himself uh, close to the end there when they needed to run a two. I don't think it's cricket, um, but look, I, I'm not going to die on a hill for it. Uh, it adds an interesting strategic element to the game, but mm-hmm. uh, uh, not not really on from my perspective. Why not though? Because I I don't see why. I suppose it you know near the end of the game maybe it doesn't have an impact, but the the fact that you are out. Like Ashwin, it's not like he can go off and then come back, or you know, you're you're actually making a decision to say, okay, I'm out, and if something, you know, if if this this could easily backfire because I'm in, I'm already on twenty odd. A certain person coming in could get out, you know, all sorts of things can go wrong with it. I think Stephen Fleming. I don't know if you saw he he answered a question similar to that actually, okay. and his reasoning was. That's what cricket's about, you know. You might not be having a great day or starting early. I remember Owen Morgan scored a brilliant 100. Um, I can't remember, it must have been 18 months ago or, or so. And I was talking to Binksy about it and I said, he looked horrible for the first seven balls. And then Binksy's just cut me down going, why are you, why are you chopping down those tall poppies after he scored a great 100? But I'm like, that's the same thing. He looked horrible. He came back and scored a brilliant 100. Why, why are you sort of giving up, you know, because you can't hit the ball out of the park? It's part of the game. I think the practical difference between retiring out and just walking past one and getting stumped or getting bowled is that it doesn't cost the batting side of delivery for someone to retire out. So if they're retiring out at a dead ball situation, it doesn't cost the batting side a ball faced to remove that batter. If R. Ashwin had run halfway down the wicket and effectively got himself run out, that's a ball conceded. So I think the practical difference is retiring out doesn't concede a ball to the batting side, which in a game like T20, when there's only 120 deliveries to play with, is actually pretty significant at the back end of the game when you need 15 off seven. If all of a sudden that became 15 off six or 15 off five because of a player having to walk past one to get themselves out or run themselves out, that's a big practical difference in the outcome of of that game if you weren't able to retire out. So I think it does benefit the batting side not having to concede a ball in that situation. It it depends who is retiring out because you've, you've also lost the potential of a batsman who's got test match centuries, the ability to actually 
bat. That's right. In the innings. That's right. Absolutely. My take is I, I just don't see the equity in it for both the batting and bowling side. So, for example, a, a fielding side could tactically make a decision within the previous over that they want a particular person on strike from a matchup perspective so that they can bring on a left arm spinner or a left arm over bowler or a leggy because, you know, the guy that's on strike doesn't fancy it. And then the batting card have got a card to play, but the, the bowling side don't necessarily have that same card to play um, in terms of getting those kind of matchups right. You know, it's not like they can drag a bowler off and retire him um, halfway through and over. So we're talking about sort of evening up the balance between bat and ball. And, and for me, this just gives another another card for the batting side to play without really giving a, a requisite uh, card to the fielding side. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I like the tactical innovation. I like the fact that it's something that we're talking about and it provides that sort of point of interest, I guess, a little bit like the 100 with, you know, 10 balls from one end or whatever. Um but yeah, it, it at the moment feels a little bit gimmicky for me. And look, I I will uh, I completely disagree. I think it was great. Good on them. You know, I think I'm I'm honestly surprised that it hasn't happened already, and that you know that we don't see it more regularly. But look, just before before we he, leave the he idea, could have mancutted himself, couldn't he? Well, he should have. Maybe he should have. Maybe he could have. I guess in your. Like in your arguments, I suppose he could have just, you know, when hit, hit my hit the ball to the boundary, he could have just, you know, kept running and run himself out, I suppose. So, you know, it, or, would or that he, have been okay? He, he could have tried to hit a six as well. Well, I guess so. But yeah, then as Baldy said, he's probably, you know, potentially you're missing a, a ball. But yeah. Could have gone for six as it, well. It could have. It, it could have. But look, before we leave the, the IPL, the, the last point that I want someone to try and give me an answer for, we've spent so long in our IPL previews trying to figure out how these teams were going to use their four overseas players. You know, you've only got a, a, a limit of four. Why aren't the teams actually using four? So many uh, scenarios so far. We've seen um, particularly Delhi and um, and Mumbai. Del- Delhi, I think, have had some circumstances that, you know, Mitchell Marsh still isn't here, isn't there, um, or he's recovering from an injury. They've had uh, Warner and stuff coming coming back from Australia but then Mumbai the other night, they dropped Tim David, as you guys have mentioned, but they also dropped Daniel Sams, probably not super surprising after he got absolutely pummeled. But then, you know, they they also dropped Tymol Mills. They didn't play Fabian Allen, who I thought was going to be a really important player for them in, in terms of uh, being a spin bowling all-rounder. Last night, we saw um, DC played Khalil Ahmed instead of Onrik Nokia. They could have, you know, they could have had all of them playing. We've had uh, Rian Parag, who's the person who came in and scored those runs um, for Ashwin, uh, who's been playing a lot of games ahead of Jimmy Neesham and Rusty Vanderdussen. Yeah, it just seems surprising because we spent so long thinking that the overseas players are the most important players on your side, and obviously some of the teams don't think so. I have no good answer for it, to be honest. I'm, I'm actually a bit perplexed as to why it's happening because – the names that you're talking about are not average cricketers. They're either international or, or, or fringe international players. Players in the IPL, you would expect to be almost match winners, if not significant contributors to those sides. But the guys who are coming in, the Indian players that are coming in for them are doing the job. I mean, you have a look at, look now, Ayush Badoni has been playing really, really well and pushing Marcus Stoinis down to seven or eight, Deepak Huda, all these kind of guys, even uh, Krishna Gautham for, for luck now. They're all playing really good cricket. And I think what we're starting to see is even though we've diluted the 
talent pool in terms of adding two new sites to the IPL, the players that have come in are starting to step up and we're starting to see even more, which is a little bit frightening, even more Indian players stepping up and, and winning matches for their team. So it's it's not entirely surprising, but a little bit perplexing for sides that are struggling like Mumbai not to try and maximise some of their overseas talent, particularly guys like Fabian Allen who are kind of X-factor players. Do you think they're playing weaker sides? The only reason I ask is because when you're talking about Huda there and Gotham, they are, you know, people who have great reputations in India and uh, Huda is playing for India. Is that not making them stronger? Well, and I think with a team like Rajasthan, yeah, they've they've certainly proved that a lot of their local core India players, Indian players, are, are doing a, a super job. You know, I just said DC last night picked Kalyalami ahead of Anrik Norkir. They could have picked another, an overseas player. Uh, Kalyalami bowled great and he took a bunch of wickets and that, you know, he was a really significant player. So, yeah, I'm not necessarily saying that they're, you know, that they're making the wrong calls. I just think it's uh, super surprising because, yeah, I've, it's felt like for years that picking your, your four core overseas players is really, really important and getting that right and just doesn't, yeah, maybe it doesn't seem to matter anymore if you've, if you've got a good strong base of Indian players. I think it's a squad game now, isn't it? We, we've seen that at the advent of T20 all around the world, that you, you've got to have 15 or 16 guys and that know their role. So it's a long tournament as well, 70-odd games. So yeah, I wonder whether it is just that sort of rotation piece. And um, if you look at the way that the size might have planned, they might have gone, well, this guy is the guy that comes in, you know, so that we can manage those, those workloads a little bit, particularly with your, your pace bowlers. But... Um, yeah, look, I, I guess we'll see whether it works for Mumbai because, yeah, dropping our overseas players, it hasn't seemed to have worked so far. Well, that wraps up the chat about the IPL for this week. Of course, plenty more to come. Mention uh, the long 74-game uh, tournament or thereabouts. Let's move on to the back end of the New Zealand season. We, we want to obviously talk, I think, a little bit about uh, who might be on the plane to the UK. We've obviously got... Uh, the confirmation of the Plunkett Shield uh, champions. But just in terms of the New Zealand home summer in general, um, Lippy, I might hand over to you. Your sort of general recap or, or thoughts on uh, thoughts on the season here in New Zealand? Well, I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't know that we really need to go back through it, probably because everyone remembers it very clearly because there hasn't actually been that many games. And I, and I think that's been a huge feature of... Uh, this summer and you know a lot because of that it's it's I think it's going to go down as a pretty disappointing home summer we've split as the Black Caps have split the two home tests which is probably the uh, or the home two time test series which is probably the thing that we care about the most in terms of you know trying to defend that world test championship title I think we've put a big dent in our chances to to try and do that you look at the women you know we've had a home world cup and failed to to make the the semi-finals so yeah, I mean, I think it's it's hard to argue that it that it has been anything but pretty disappointing. Do you, do you think that's a function of expectation though? Because the expectation on New Zealand's home summer this summer has been as high as as high as it has ever been. You're holding the World Test Championship. You've gone from being the hunters now to the hunted. The women's side in an 18 World Cup were expected to make the semi-finals. The expectation was to finish in that top four they were close ultimately didn't get there i feel like that's kind of the way you can sum up this new zealand summer right is that 
there's a high level of expectation on both men's and women's sides, and you've come close to achieving that expectation, but not quite. And I think that's the kind of view from high looking down that most New Zealand fans have, which is contradictory to the way that you guys normally look at your cricket, which is from a sort of base of pretty low expectations and then kind of looking up at having exceeded them over the past five or six years. It's a very different perspective for you guys now. Yeah, I think if, if you look back at this, this summer, there's a couple of different elements to it. I mean, if you look at the Bangladesh series, I don't think anybody is actually upset about that loss to Bangladesh. That was Bangladesh played completely out of their skins and outplayed New Zealand in five days of cricket. Look, that's fine. Well done. They've gone on to play well in South Africa as well, winning a one-day series over there, maybe not so much in the Test <laughs> series. Not going so well, but, but uh, you know, they're, they're, they're doing things that they've never done before as a cricket side. Mm. The South Africa one is where I have a little bit of a, you know, a, a gripe about. I don't like the way that we batted. Uh, if we, we were looking at the season stats uh, today around uh, how New Zealand has gone. There's only one person averaging over, what, 38 with the bat in New Zealand, and that's Conway, uh, sorry, not in New Zealand, for New Zealand. Uh, but you look at the bowlers, that, that that's where they've been our shining light for a long time. W what we've been missing is those runs. You know, Ross Taylor's gone. Mm -hmm. Kane Williamson's been injured for a massive part of it. Conway wasn't available when we were in India for that, yeah. that last away series. I think that's where we've been missing a lot of what we have seen as a lot of success with our runs. Yeah, look, and I think if... Yeah, I think you make a great point there about the South Africa series because I think if we had won that South Africa series 2-0 in the Test series, it's sort of all, all good in the world again. It, you know, no one really would have been looking. We would have gone, okay, it was just a real blip against Bangladesh and everything's sort of back on track. They obviously would have had an extra Test win and that would have been helping them for the, those World Test Championship points and everyone would have said, you know, we've we've really, apart from that one game, dealt with our home games very well. Yeah, but it, I don't know. It, I, I think it's, you know, it's also obviously COVID has had an impact. We were supposed to go to Australia. Australia was supposed to come here for limited overs games. And they were games that people, people are always excited about playing those games against Australia and, you know, missing out on them is disappointing. Does that change your opinion? If we play and we win five out of those six games, or six games, mm -hmm. if we win the majority of those games, does that change your thoughts on our summer at all? Uh, I don't know. I I probably wouldn't necessarily change my thoughts on uh, my general feeling about the summer. Maybe it would have, maybe it wouldn't have, but I th I think it um, it would have added excitement. And I suppose it didn't feel like we've had that much excitement that that World Cup uh, aside, because that was a as disappointing as it was at times for New Zealand. It, it was a super exciting tournament for to be on New Zealand shores, and you know so many close games. We talked about all of that sort of stuff at the time, but. Yeah, I don't know. It just just feels a bit flat now that it's done. And yeah, I, I don't know. Last, I guess this time last year, we were very, very positive about where New Zealand was going. And now, I don't know, there just seems to be a few more questions about some of the upcoming tours and, and our chances on those tours uh, as from a men's side. So yeah, we, we'll see. And, and I, I, look, I guess that leads probably to, you know, who's going to be going on those tours. It, Tom Bruce has been ripping up trees over the past couple of couple of weeks yeah so just transitioning from the season that was to the season that's coming up there's been Ross Taylor's retirement um you know everybody is a year older now guys like you know Neil Wagner are in their mid-30s the bowling attack's not getting any younger who has emerged for you over the last five or six months 
either in domestic cricket or in a New Zealand jersey that you think is going to be fighting for those tour spots to the UK and 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 further tours after that that's providing you with some hope, some excitement for the future, other than kind of the continued emergence of Devon Conway? Yeah, look, I, I don't actually know that there's too many surprises or, or surprising names that we're going to see on these tours. I think we might, um, it'll be really, I'm really fascinated to see what they do. New Zealand's got two tests or three tests against uh, England coming up. That covers, takes us all through June. And then we've got a bunch of ODI games and, and T20 games against Ireland, Scotland and, and the Netherlands that takes us sort of all through July. I would expect that those two uh, squads might look entirely different and that players that go on that test tour might come home and then a completely new squad goes. Yeah, I, I don't know who will stick around, especially some of those limited overs players who have been also going to have been at the IPL or, you know, the Kane Williamsons who are going to go from straight from the IPL, Devon Conway, into uh, this England Test Series, which is going to be critically important. So I think that Test lineup will look really similar. It's whether the, the ODI lineup starts to see, you know, the Finnellans and, and all these other sort of names that we, I, I guess those younger players that we potentially are a bit excited about, whether someone like Ben Sears goes on that tour, he's someone I think would be would be a great person to invest in in, in terms of New Zealand cricket. There's been a couple of young guys uh, on the New, you know, New Zealand domestic scene that we've already talked about, like Simon Keane, but I think it's probably too early for, for someone like that to be thrust into the limelight. Brett, Brett Randall's had a really good domestic summer, but yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, the, Tom Bruce is the one that I've I've seen bang on the on the you know, people keep saying, oh, he's definitely got to be there. I mean, does he? Uh, from my perspective, I don't think he definitely has to be there. I don't think there's a uh, a really impressive impressive case for anybody at the moment for those backup spots for for the tour from a batting perspective. Uh, I think that we've got a lot of capable batsmen who are putting their hand up, uh, but no one who's you know done it for a long sustained period of time, uh, like like the likes of Conway, like the likes of uh, Will Young have over the last few years. Just to um, come back to your question, Baldy, around who you know has excited me, I have liked watching uh, the emergence of Rachin Ravindra uh, coming out, even though he hasn't you know set the world alight yet. You can see that there is something there, and he he does just add so much balance to our team at the moment that is very unbalanced when you go to certain parts of the world at the moment. So that's been uh, good for me, and. and as well, the the return of Colin de Grandhomme. I know he's he's an older, older player in that mid thirties. How we were we already talked about early thirties, mid thirties. Yeah, uh, yeah, he's, yeah, he's in that mid thirties. Yeah, so right? I, you know, it's good to see him back and shows that he does have a lot to offer. Uh, and then yeah, we've just got so much talent with the white ball. Uh, you know, Finn Allen, Lockie Ferguson. We want to see these guys stay fit and and, and play cricket. I think there's going to be a really interesting case to be made for Tom Bruce because there now is a spot open in your test squad after Ross Taylor has retired. So there is room to take another player, whether they take an extra backup for uh, Tom Blundell and they, they take a second, maybe even third wicket-keeping option on tour. So maybe Cleaver and Cam Fletcher, maybe one of those two goes. There's definitely. I don't think, I don't think there's any chance that both of them go in the test side. In anyway, the test side, they'll probably Latham. go one and one 
one in the test side, one in the oh, one day side even, potentially. I think they might even just keep Latham. They have in the past has kept him as our backup. You know, who knows? Who knows? But mm. yeah, it'll be interesting. The case for Tom Bruce is interesting though because he does have nearly four thousand domestic first class runs at an average of forty seven, which in New Zealand is actually really quite impressive to average forty seven in domestic first class cricket here. Very very few cricketers average fifty over the course of several seasons. Is that enough? to force his way into that side against someone like George Worker, who's been making runs on runs year after year after year? I think Worker's probably not really in the mix for the, the test lineup, just given that the majority of his runs were probably in the, the white ball stuff this year. I, I wouldn't surprise me if he's on that white ball tour. But uh, yeah, Bruce is an interesting one. I mean, you know, the currency is runs, right? And he scored 500 runs in a row from three innings, scored 90 not out, and then two double hundreds in a row, all not out, 500 runs in a row without... Uh, you know, without being dismissed. It's very, very impressive. And look, I initially in my head went, oh, that's all sort of against backups. And because the the end of the domestic summer has kind of been weird. We've had COVID interrupt it. Players have been dropping out. But the one against ND actually, you know, it was there was uh, Wagner and, and Kugelein and there, that was a, you know, pretty decent ND bowling attack. And, uh, you know, then you had the, the one against Auckland. Yes, it was you know partly their their B side, but Simon Keane's been demolishing everyone. You know Louis Dalport's there; he's been playing most of the year for for them. So look, they they're decent sides, and you can't you can't criticise what he's done. I just think it's I just think that he's done he he's done it sort of at the wrong time, and also everyone that is in that test side has sort of been out of the domestic scene. So there's not really anyone to compare him against in terms of. Those the actual players that would be running up against, and you know, you run through that last test. We had Latham, Young, Conway, Nichols, Mitchell, Blunder was that the top six. Then you add in uh, Kane Williamson into that mix. I don't know who he necessarily is competing against. There's Rach and Ravindra, probably for a spot, and then you know maybe it's it's someone saying, well, Daryl Mitchell, you know, does he deserve a spot to be in the, in the test side as a batter alone? Yeah, I mean, he's not going to oust any of the ones who are currently in the eleven unless they are they are injured. But I mean, you you talk about you know the Black Caps not being in the first class scene. There are other people scoring runs as well, like Robbie O'Donnell scored mm-hmm. a lot of runs this year. Martin Guptill scored a hundred and ninety big hundred as mm-hmm. well with the Red Bull. Um, so there are people who are scoring runs all up and down that that first class scene. Um, who's to say who's going to get this reserve batsman spot? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Look, and it's an interesting one. I mean, yeah, Bruce. Bruce has had a phenomenal season. Don't get me wrong. He's he's you know almost two hundred runs clear of everyone else on that ladder now. Uh, you know, yeah, he's he's had a great year. But I just think that the, I, I suppose we did it with Michael Rippon as well. When Michael Rippon played a brilliant game against New Zealand uh, for the Netherlands, everyone went, okay, now he's in the New Zealand side. Like you just don't, people can like have a good game, and then carry on and still have to prove themselves. And, you know, yes, Rippon probably has a case to maybe be in that squad as well ahead of Ravindra if you're just looking at pure numbers in in terms of batting and bowling and and all of those things. So there's a few question marks. You know, we didn't even mention Hamish Rutherford, who was the backup batter in that last test side. So, yeah, a lot lot of question marks as we uh, look to that that tour. But I I think it'll just generally be the, the main names we expect to see. Boys, let's move on. Bit of a live score update. Um, we jokingly started recording the podcast when Bangladesh were 40 for four. There's a little bit of symmetry in the score now. They're 70 for seven, um, needing 343 
uh, more runs to win. Ask. So um, not 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 uh, impossible, but pretty close to it, I think, as someone once said. So um, what do we make of this series? That uh, look, I guess the, the, the obvious is that Harmer and Maharaj have, uh, have proved uh, the difference between the sides in in South Africa, where we probably didn't expect. Um, spin to be playing a, a, a large part. I saw something the other day saying that you know the the South African uh, last time South Africa played two spinners in a home test, uh, which obviously happened in that first test, was that the first time that that happened in South Africa since 1970. That feels like a staggering number that maybe isn't right, and I guess it depends on who you class as a spinner and who is not a spinner and, you know, batters, batting all-rounders and things. But, yeah, amazing. And I, I kept thinking, should we have seen this coming? Like, you know, should we have seen a South African uh, game where spin plays such a big role? Because I certainly did not expect that myself, but maybe those stats suggest that uh, everyone's been kind of surprised by this. I've checked the scorecard four or five times to make sure it's not a carbon copy of the first test scorecard. It is actually, in fact, a different test match. They're 75 for seven at the moment, Sri Lanka, and Maharaj and Simon Harmer have bowled unchanged in the second inning. So South Africa have only used two bowlers. Again, Maharaj has got another five-wicket haul in the second innings. The thing that I think is surprising a lot of people is Bangladesh coming from home conditions where the ball does turn, to get assistance for spin, their normal sort of modus operandi is to have a lot of spin bowlers operating. They should be well equipped to deal with this kind of situation in an environment that doesn't normally suit spin bowling. You're going to get more bounce in South Africa than you are in Bangladesh, and you're probably going to get a little bit more sharp turn rather than low variable bounce. But the thing that has surprised and I think disappointed a lot of people is Bangladesh's inability to bat in the second innings in these conditions. What's really interesting to come out of this test series is the complaint that Bangladesh has made against South Africa in terms of their on-field conduct. It's a pretty much unprecedented move from that Bangladesh team to complain about the way that they were treated on the field. Normally, the sort of, you know, way that you go about it is you have heavy banter on the field. You can call it banter if you want, or you can call it sledging, mental disintegration, whatever it happens to be. But then you kind of leave that on the field. Most of the time that gets left on the field or dealt with by the match officials who bring up an on-field situation. So look, it's going to be very interesting to see what happens as a result of this complaint that Bangladesh have made. They've effectively said that South Africa crossed the line in terms of some of the things that they said and their conduct on the field. Um, there's been incidents of, you know, bowlers throwing balls at batters and all sorts of unsavoury kind of conduct. So that's going to be the interesting thing to come out of this series once it concludes, I think, is to what action, if any, the ICC match review committee take at the result of this series. The, uh, I think that we really do have to give South Africa a lot of credit for the way that they, you know, three wickets aside are going to take care of this series and win these two tests at home. They're going to be in a great position for the World Test Championship. They go to England soon, and, um, you know, Binksy's already, uh, I think on an earlier podcast, sort of laid down those victories and said that they're, they're South Africa's as well. We talked about uh, before they went there how we wanted to see how they would go. All their IPL players chose to go to the IPL. It, they, they unearthed a new opening bowling attack. <laughs> with these two spinners and they've just been able to continue winning uh, yeah I'm I'm really really impressed with them and you know if they can 
if they can show that they've got two world-class spinners, which it seems like they're starting to get that way. Certainly Maharaj is, is looking every bit that against, against, looked at against New Zealand, is looking at now uh, against uh, Bangladesh. So, yeah, they, they're going to be a force to be reckoned with if they can continue to do this uh, in you know all sorts, of, all sorts of different conditions, which is something that not a lot of sides can say they can do at the moment. Lots going on, actually, in the IPL, but not a lot going in international cricket at the moment. I'm particularly interested to see what comes out of that Bangladesh-South Africa series off the field. Thank you very much for joining us once again on the Top Order podcast. We'll be back later on in the week with another episode of the Top Order podcast, Hall of Fame. Numbers 55 through to 51, we're almost halfway through and into the top 50, but we've got five new cricketers to come in the Top Order podcast, Hall of Fame. So stay tuned for that. Thank you very much for listening to us here on this, the 93rd episode of This Week in Cricket. Take care of yourselves and each other and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening.